You're listening to Gospel-Centered Rest, the podcast by Grace Bible Church in Cambridge, Ontario, dealing with topics of life and theology and how Christ's promise of rest for the weary and the heavy laden gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. Um, If you have your Bibles, you can get them out and follow along with us, Uh, but we're going to continue our discussion through the book of Ephesians as David's been preaching through Ephesians on Sundays, Sunday mornings here at Grace Bible Church, and Wednesday nights, um, the theology class Mm. has been happening. Uh, So we're discussing Ephesians. Lots of Ephesians happen. So much to discuss, and somebody thought, hey, why not preach through the entire entirety of chapter 3 on Sunday? Oh, and you know, when I start preaching... 21 verses. When I... When I start preaching, I actually think I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. There's that much optimism happening. <laughs> and then and then here's the problem Sunday morning is uh, my timer wasn't on. The TV wasn't on. So oh. it was just like a free-for-all. <laughs> time, time, it was like eternity. Time did not matter. It was not. Yeah. In the, well, I, anyway. I, I don't think it was too long or anything like that. Well, I, people I, started I unpacking was... picnics and opening up their lunch. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> I Check, think that's a problem. Checking on their crock pots. <laughs> can you Only a, there's can a way you, to check on your crock pot while you're at church. There probably is like a smart crock pot out there, an eye crock pot. <laughs> oh, man. They would have a good, um, I think they would They would sell a lot to churches. There like you people go. in churches. Niche audience. It's like the ultimate thing, right? You throw everything in the crock pot, whatever's in the fridge before you go to church. See what happens afterwards. <laughs> Flock, play for, play it's for funny. It all it all ends up tasting the same. Some of the, some of my best meals I've made, and I am not a good cook by far. Yeah. Like Eva wins. Um, but I've just thrown some stuff in, added some spices. Never Delicious. to be repeated. It's a beautiful moment. There you go. <laughs> True so. genius at work. Yeah. <laughs> we'll wait for my cookbook. Yeah. <laughs> they are amazing for that, though. Cookbooks? So, cookbooks, well, crockpots, <laughs> cookbooks, crockpots. But everyone's into them air fryers now. Anyways, enough Sous-vide. of uh, kitchen, kitchen appliances. Speaking of kitchen appliances, Ephesians versus three. Ephesians, Ephesians 3. But we, we talked briefly just about spending some time in the last portion of Ephesians 3. Did you want to build us some, yeah. some context, David? My reason for <laughs> loving Ephesians 3 altogether is the story mm-hmm. that it tells. Mm-hmm. And Ephesians 1 and 2, uh, we're living in the clouds. Um, we're talking about God's blessings. We're talking about the powerful work of God in Christ, mm-hmm. the power of the Holy Spirit, those far drawn near, those dead now made alive. Um, this rich grace that we have in Christ uh, because of God's great love. <laughs> and then, so everything's going well. And sometimes that's what we think in terms of uh, people's lives and what Christianity should be. Everything's going well. Um, we just enjoy the blessings of God. And then you have Ephesians 3 that talks about uh, Paul as a prisoner. And the Ephesians would have known that he was a prisoner, but for us it's a bit of a shock because it's like, oh yeah, um, he's talking about all of this not in a seminary classroom or in a church building. He's, ta- he's writing this in prison. And then uh, he says two things. Um, he says, first of all, Basically, he has a calling, um, so God's calling on his life did not change. And then 
uh, does verses 1 through 7, and then verses 8 through 12, he talks about how he's still um, living out his calling. So the very thing that we, that we think would hinder the spread of the gospel, Paul says, my calling hasn't stopped. Uh, I, I'm an apostle, um, and I'm a servant of the gospel. It's by God's gift of grace, and I live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he talks about how he proclaims the word, how he sheds light, and then um, his desire is that uh, God's multifaceted wisdom would be made known, um, that people would be encouraged, that everything's going according to God's eternal plan, and that we have boldness and confidence uh, to go to God, even in a prison cell. So that's, that for me was the big picture, and I think the application in part, at least in my life, as, as I think about this, is, and, and also in ministry, sometimes you hear people say, well, you know, if God was God, mm-hmm. then why, is, why, why, are, why am I in prison? Or mm-hmm. if God is God, why am I suffering? So that's why we entitled it The Realities of Life and Ministry, is much of our ministry, much of our life is lived during times of suffering or watching someone else suffer. And that does not limit God's work, and that does not limit our calling and, and what God's called us to do. So I think it's just a, a real encouragement because Paul uses um, his time in prison to be able to say for us who are suffering or watching others suffer, God's still powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, Christ still reigns. Um, and there is... We may Paul may be in a prison, but he is not in a prison when it comes to his relationship with God. He he has free access, boldness to go into the very presence of God, and then all that's connected with the prayer, mm-hmm. which is the last part. Yeah, which I think we usually take separately, um, and that's why I wanted to glue it together with the first uh, thirteen verses. Yeah, it's almost as if he's bringing them into that experience of faith with him through the suffering and, and just saying, this is where God is in the midst of this. And same, same for you. Like I'm praying this for you too. Yeah. Yeah, At the end. Yeah. I think he's, he's saying, come and sit in prison with me. Yeah. Uh, Understand what I'm doing in prison. And that's why he says in verse 13, don't be discouraged um, because, and, and that's where, you know, verses 20 and 21 come at the end of all of this. So at the majestic truths of, chapters 1 and 2, and then in the reality of life and ministry in verses uh, 1 through 13 of Ephesians 3, the rest of the prayer ends with, he'll do, imme- he'll do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it, prison, Paul's imprisonment didn't catch God off guard. Mm-hmm. Um, God still worked through Paul. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to verses 20 and 21. Byron, did you want to read those for us? Verses 20 and 21 say, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So very familiar verses, and that's probably why it's so important that we spend the time talking about the context as, as you did, David, mm-hmm. and understanding that, um, that, these are, that these have a context and yeah. these have a specific purpose, place um, in mind, persons in mind. 
So when we read these verses, um, what comes to mind? Yeah. Byron, did you want to? I just think it's fascinating how the different things are coming out. Like it's talking about power, right? According to the power that works in us. And yet he's already talked about God's power back in verse 7. And it was given to him, this gift of God's grace was given to him by the working of his power. And that grace, he said at the beginning, the administration of God's grace that he gave for, for me to you is basically that I would have this privilege of declaring the gospel to the Gentiles. And he goes on at the end of verse 13, he says, you know, don't be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf. It's, it's not like it's a concession. Well, God's done a lot of things, even though I'm in prison. It's like, no, God is working right now. This is his grace to me. I don't deserve this. It's so wonderful that I'm in prison as I'm carrying out God's will, and you're the benefit, and you're going to be blessed by this, and this is all part of God's plan. It's not a bad thing. It's like there's this, and he says, so who knows all that he's going to do beyond what we can even dream. You know, it's just this wide-opening prospect and horizon of, God is incredible what he's doing. Don't be discouraged because something difficult happens. He's there. This is his will. He's called me to do this. You're benefiting. It's all just also tied together. I think it's really cool too how how he says these verses right after he gives them his prayer for them. Basically like affirming, I'm praying these things for you. <laughs> that you'd be rooted, established in the faith and love you're going to comprehend with all the saints, the length, the width, the height, the depth of God's love. I'm praying for these things. And I'm praying these things to him who is able to actually do these things. He's going to do these things in and through you as, a, as, as Christians. But what, else, um, what else is so significant, you think, David, of these, these verses? Yeah, because Paul's brought us back to reality that he's in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we think about times where we have suffered or walked with those who have suffered Paul's prayer at least in my understanding answer or praise his prayer is very connected to suffering and um, the truths mm-hmm. of God so how, how do we how do we prepare for suffering Ephesians 1 and 2 tell this grand gospel story so I think that's the foundational way to uh, um, prepare for suffering is just knowing God um, in relationship with God, knowing the person of Jesus Christ. And that's Paul's first prayer in verse um, chapter one, verse 18, that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we may know the hope, the wealth of his glorious inheritance and the immeasurable greatness of his power. So those are, those are three things that we're training our mind uh, to, to understand that there is always hope that there's, that we, we are the inheritance of God, um, he treasures us, and that there is this immeasurable greatness of his power. Mm-hmm. And then Paul introduces suffering in Ephesians 3, and now it's kind of like the rubber hits the road. And so when you journey with someone through suffering, what are the two biggest questions that they ask? Um, basically, like, if God is a God of love, then why is this suffering happening? Mm-hmm. And then if God is a God of love, then he can't be a God who's powerful, uh, because then he would do something about it. 
So is God a God of love and is God powerful? And I think that's why Paul's prayers at Ephesians 3 um, are, first of all, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through the Spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul will look around the prison cell, but through faith, by the Spirit, um, he's grounded in Christ. That's Ephesians 1 through 2. So that's the foundation for uh, how to deal with suffering. And then, well, what about, like, is God loving me? Is, you know, like, uh, and that's, I pray that being rooted and established in love, you can comprehend how much he loves you. Mm-hmm. And, and then verses 20 and 21, the answer to those prayers are, he'll do above and beyond all that we ask. And, and so I think, uh, you know, we need to be praying those prayers for one another, for those um, that they would, they would know the love of God and that they would know the power of God. Um, and in his mysterious ways, even through suffering, uh, he will accomplish his purposes and it will be for his glory and it will be for, for our glory. And then I, I just think the final thing for me in this is it is striking that that's Paul's prayer. Because Paul doesn't pray for them to be better Christians. And mm-hmm. when people go through times of suffering or they're in prison, they're, they're like, okay, I need, to, <laughs> I need to be a really good Christian. I need to trust God better. I need to trust God better. I need all to of these have things. a smile on. That's right. To, uh, yeah. God know, is good all the time. There's a, there's a time of, of grief, but I got to come out of that grief. Like, quickly. quickly. That's right. Yeah. Right? So I can get on the task of evangelism. But that's, Paul's not praying for them to be better Christians. Paul... Mm-hmm. If we're going to understand the gospel, the very one of the very first things that Paul prays is, um, "I want you to know how much you're loved." We spend so much time, and and it's not it's not to discount the need for it because we'll see that in Ephesians four through six, but so much time thinking if we love God enough, God will love us enough. And uh, Paul says, if you're really going to understand the gospel, it is it begins with knowing how deeply loved you are. Mm-hmm. It is beyond knowledge. Now, that doesn't mean we can't bathe ourselves in the love of God, immerse ourselves in the love of God, and understand that at a level. But it's, it's not about what we do for God. It's about what, what God does for us. And then, I know I'm rambling a bit right now, but mm-hmm. um, when we talk, uh, when I talk to, like when I do premarital counseling, mm-hmm. so and, and just apply this to marriage, what is... What is uh, so if we understand the gospel in a marriage context, um, how, does, how does that help us understand the task of marriage or, or what we do in a marriage? And I think it's this. If I'm living out the gospel, I want at the end of our days my wife to know how deeply loved she is. Mm-hmm. Because if I've been deeply loved by Christ and I enjoy that love and um, learn from that love, then one of the primary goals in a marriage is does the other person know how deeply loved they are? Mm. Um, that, I think that is the outliving of the gospel. Many marriages become do this, do that, the law, all of these things. Paul comes across and he says, know that you're loved. Mm. So, yeah. And then um, to him who is able, verses 20 and 21 it's an amazing ending uh, mm-hmm. because Paul's, you look at Paul in prison, you think, yeah, Paul, you're, you're done. You're basically defeated. You're trapped. And then he says, you know, God will do these things. 
Byron, what do you say um, say to the person that that comes to these verses? So they they go through the whole conversation about about suffering and and understanding uh, where God is in their suffering. They come to this verse and they read these read these verses. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, and interpret that as okay, if I if I pray that God would take me out of this suffering, um, out of what's happening, then he's going to do that because this verse says that if I ask or I think it, um, God can give it to me. Um, is that how we should understand these verses? I think it's very dangerous to understand them that way because it sets us up with an expectation of what God's going to do which is different from recognizing what God can do if it's his will. In this case, Paul has shared his prayer for them. We know his context, and he commits to God what he's going to do with with this thought of, and and he'll be praised and he'll be glorified, but he doesn't say, this is what you got to do, God. He doesn't come and say, and so, God, you've got to spring me. So I've prayed this, and God is now going to release me. He doesn't talk that way. And often it doesn't happen that way. So I think it's this willingness to, it's a positive sort of thing. It's not just resignation, but I think it's this embracing of God's will isn't a bad thing even though I may not understand mm-hmm. it, even though it may be difficult. And obviously prison was not an easy thing for Paul, but he's prepared that if this is God's will for him, then it's a good thing and he wants to go into it and God's going to do wonderful things. He's beyond, he's able to do above and beyond what he can imagine could come out of this. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it's not just a, well, you know, I'd really like the Ferrari, but maybe I'll just ask for the Corvette instead. Um, you know, the, the whole sort of... What about a Lamborghini? Well, I don't want to get ridiculous, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, that, that whole sort of thing of, yeah, yeah, name it, claim it, ignores so many other passages. Mm-hmm. Well, even like the Lord's Prayer, right? The Lord's Prayer is so centered around the will of God. Yes. Thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as is in heaven. And when you're reading even a passage like this, I mean, as David was mentioning, basically the argument up to this point is, um, is the will of God is, is the restful place to be, even if it's a hard place to be. Mm-hmm. It's the, the will of God is the, is, the, is the place that we find our peace, that we find our hope, where the love of God is. Um, being strengthened in power, all that stuff, all that is is at the center of what the will of God is. So to pray, you know, thy will be done, as you're saying, right, is yeah. is much better than... Well, even in the passage, sometimes people will quote, you know, knock, ask, seek, right. and it will be granted, as if, again, it's a, well, you just name it, and God's going to do it, because he says, I will do it. Mm-hmm. But when you look at those passages and the parallel ones, the preeminent answer to that prayer is he's a good father he's not going to give bad gifts so those who ask of the ask for the spirit are going to receive the spirit 
Well, that puts it in the context of, again, the Spirit is indwelling with us, and the Spirit's not going to do something contrary to the will of God. We want to keep in step with Him and walk with Him and find joy in that. But that doesn't make it easy. Now, what is the follow-up question? Does God, does God care about us talking to Him about our suffering? Like, is it wrong for us to say, Lord, take this from me? Well, if you take Paul as the example, yeah. he asked... Yeah. He asked three times, and then he concluded that, well, he didn't just conclude. God actually said, no, I want you to have this because mm-hmm. this will keep you humble, keep you dependent on me rather than on yourself. And I think, okay, it's not wrong to keep praying for things, and sometimes we pray for things for years, but are we prepared that the answer may be a continued, no, this isn't for you? And there may be a time when we conclude, I don't need to keep praying that because there's something better. David, what do you think? Yeah, it's... For, for those who are suffering, you know, and watching others suffer, um, it's, such a, it's such a tough question. Yeah. And that's where I think, you know, we don't have to pray right we don't have to get it. Yeah. Um, but I love these conversations because they help us understand how, how we can be praying. And I think there'll be times where we pray with less hope, um, maybe more disappointment, anger, whatever it is at our circumstances. And, you know, just like a father understanding a child going through the time of suffering and having to grow and, just be tired and uh, filled with tears. I, I think the Father allows for that, or the Father does allow for that, uh, and He does it so much better than we could ever do. And then there's times where we're filled with hope and confidence mm-hmm. and a sense of the presence of Christ. And, um, <laughs> and that's where I think uh, if you know, people are, are really suffering, then you know, just pray. Yeah. Uh, and and just connect with God and where, where you're at, and if um, so, and and then and then use these verses. Um, the this the thing again for me is Paul verses twenty and twenty one doesn't pray to get out of prison. No. Yeah. He's in prison. In fact, it's almost like a theme because then the next verse in chapter four, verse one is therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, and it's basically like. Okay, we've talked about it in terms of my calling. Now let's talk about it in terms of what it is to live out the Christian life. And uh, Paul is basically going to say in Ephesians 4, 1, the Christian life will be a costly life. Uh, We will suffer. Paul is suffering for the Ephesians in prison um, because of the claims that he's making and uh, those things. So, yeah, I... I think one of the things that I see, and again, I'll just stop after this because it's such a big topic. So yeah. there might be questions out there where they're saying, well, what about this? What about this? Uh, and because there's lots of questions that come into this. But I think one of the ones that I see is even without, um, you know, like not, not wanting to do the name or claim it thing, uh, but sometimes we feel that we need to have enough faith mm-hmm. in order for God to hear us or in order, you know, to help the, if, if there's going to be healing, 
um, or if, there's, if I'm going to get out of prison, then I have to have enough faith um, for God to work that way. And I, I just feel bad for people who suffer, who feel that way, and then sometimes they get stuck in the trap of, oh, maybe I didn't have enough faith. Um, or, you know, more people have to be praying. Now, I think more people praying is fantastic. Praying is fantastic, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, it's not like we have to do our part and God does his part. Um, and, and that's what I love about what Paul does. He says, here's my calling. Mm-hmm. And then here's how I've lived out my calling. Nothing's changed. Um, I just have to do it in a different way in, or in a different sphere, uh, which is prison. Mm-hmm. You can, and then you can pray the weakest prayer ever, the weakest prayer ever. And often that's what, you know, sick people pray. Uh, although many are being revived inwardly. There, there's just a weakness to it or a lack of faith, and that's okay because, <laughs> right? God doesn't God He's doesn't need faith. our faith in order to. I mean, that that would be like a works thing. That would be a, that would actually be very cruel because you take someone at their lowest and say, okay, if you just do a better job, then maybe we'll heal you. Um, and and that's where whether God heals or doesn't, whether in prison or out, um, He is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or imagine. And that's the beautiful thing is even if you're suffering, God's doing above and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, not because life is being lived a certain way, because that's how God works. I can't help but think just about the Psalms. We get examples of weak, weak faith prayers even, yeah. and we get examples of suffering, uh, prayer and suffering. And, and what I'm reminded when, I'm, when we have these kinds of discussions and we read these kinds of passages is just how much God even cares like for those moments of life, mm-hmm. that we could even just talk to him about it, yeah. like that he would give his ear to listen and to hear us even in our weak prayers or in our weak faith, um, whether it's take it from me or um, Lord, help me to endure this uh, for your sake. For your glory um but what a what a great way to end the passage to him be the glory regardless of what happens in the church and in jesus christ to all generations forever and ever amen yeah. amen, amen.